All right, everyone. It's 9.30, so if you can, wrap up and let's get to our seats so that we can get into God's Word. We're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll start. My Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the blessing that you bestowed upon us of another day, Lord. Um, I pray that you watch over Pastor and his family as they're on vacation. Help them. Uh, help this to be a time of rest and relaxation and restorative, um, you know, just a regrouping. I pray that you bring him back and, you know, more on fire for you than before, Lord. Um, I also pray for the men here that are taking over and filling the slots that he usually fills, Lord. I pray that you continue to guide all the preachers and teachers in this church, that you help them to realize that it's about you and not themselves. And I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we will get back to 11 to 17, but today I want to focus mostly on Romans 8, 18 to 30. So if you can, please open that up. And Mike, Mike, would you like to read that once you get there? Sure, 18 to 30. 18 to 30. Okay. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together from until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere and wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these... Whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Um, beautiful, beautiful verses, right? Um, now, if you guys remembered, I titled this last week and this week, Justification and Sanctification Through the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to reiterate that I must say that there is no salvation if there isn't justification, right? The definition of justification, again, which I will say, is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God, right? We know that due to sin, we are out of fellowship with God. We're at enmity with God, right? So, thanks be to God that Jesus Christ ended up taking sin in our place, taking our place and making us right in the sight of God, dying for us and rising, us, uh, rising up and taking his people with him, right? So, again, um, Pastor, you know, we have to remember the message that Pastor said. He's preached to us many times 
and I hope it hasn't fallen on deaf ears, that there isn't any euangelion or good news, meaning the gospel, if there isn't any bad news, right? And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So there is no work that any fallen man can do to fix that. But thanks be to God that what God requires of us, God gives us the ability to do in His Holy Spirit, right? I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Because in verse 1 it says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? We said before that these words such as condemnation and justification are judicial words. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Condemnation means to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to punishment. To condemn, to render a verdict of guilt, condemnation. There is no coming from Romans 3.23 without God stepping in, right? Um, Last week, I also read the scripture of the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Whereas, if Jesus hadn't stepped in, according to the law, the woman was to be stoned to death. But Jesus, in his magnificent grace and mercy, advocated on her behalf, just like he does for us, right? Now, in this week's verses... I read a commentary from R. Kent Hughes, which I've loved, um, and he says, the opening verses of Romans 8 introduce the profound liberation that comes from the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 to 4 reveal how the Holy Spirit liberates us through Christ. Verses 5 to 17 tell us what the Holy Spirit gives us as he liberates us. And as we followed the argument of these verses, we saw an exhilarating intensification of hope culminating in the cry, Abba, Father. Right? Now in verse 17, Paul contrasts this rising hope with the inescapable reality of the pain of human existence and declares that our pain is not worthy to be compared with the coming glory. He says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? Now, this is where we cannot leave out 12 to 17 um, because, you know, they reveal what Paul's train train of thought is. So, Miss Sharon, would you like to read 12 to 17? Yes, please. Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not of the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit uh, Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if then, heir, uh, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Amen. The phraseology of this sentence in, in the suffering. In the Greek means to join in the suffering, to suffer together, to share in the sufferings. It requires you to be active. 
So in order to share in the glory of Christ, we must also share in the suffering, right? For some people, that, that means a whole, you know, several different things. I pray that in this, in the United States, we never have to deal with the sufferings that they do in other countries as far as physical um, sufferings. But there are those that, you know, deal with emotional, psychological suffering over here because of Christ. And you know what? Again, if we are in Christ, we share in the sufferings, but just that much more we will share in the glory, right? So in 1 Corinthians 12.26 it says, 1 Corinthians 12.26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen, which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, right? Um, I, I constantly think about what Pastor... I keep, I keep saying it wrong, but it's the already, not yet, right? You know, uh, I kept saying the now and later. You know, but it's not a candy. It's, it's obviously something much weightier than that. And, you know, I long to be in my glorified state so much that my focus is on being heavily minded, which requires me to look vertically, not horizontally. That should be the state that we're in. Because in my state right now, again, uh, all of it is brought on by myself, but I have pains, I have different things, I have stresses and different things that cause me anguish that, you know, being in my glorified state means sin has no longer has its effect on me because there is no more sin in heaven, right? There is no more pain. You know, there is no more... Uh, desires to follow the flesh, right? There's only living in, 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 in harmony and unity with God, right? And, I, you know, a lot of us wait for that day. Many of us, you know, pray, not myself, because I still want to be on earth, but for a little while, but many pray, please God, come back quick. Because they see the things that are going on, and they know that what's to come is way better than right now, Right? So, if we continue with that perspective of knowing that we've been set apart for a future hope, a future, uh, future glory, and having that vertical perspective, it changes our perspective or our, out- our outlook of what's going on right now, right? We look at the people that can live in perfect peace, knowing that walking out their door, they may be taken to prison. They may be, you know, given some form of, of uh, torture or whatever, but yet, because, you know, their mind is focused on being vertically minded on God, they don't worry about all those things, right? You look at how could a whole book of people in Fox's Book of Martyrs um, talk about, even though they were on their ways to horrific deaths, they never denied God and they were glorifying Him, right? You look at the letters written by Paul. Paul is in dark dungeons, jails. Him and Peter are writing letters. Peter's on the run sometimes. They both were murdered, you know. But you know what? They had that vertical mindedness, that perfect peace to know who they were serving. And they knew that the glory that they were awaiting, right? So we, we in our state right here need to realize that though it's already there for us, we do not live in that state just yet. We need to focus on moving towards that sanctifying ourselves so that we would be more in the image of Christ. So that 
We would not allow the present sufferings of this world deter us from the goal of being more and more like Christ, right? Conforming to the image of Christ. So, till Christ comes back, our focus shouldn't be thrown off due, my, due to my circumstances or anything else that may worry me. But I need to pray and pray that I will be reminded that as long as I'm in the Spirit, I will have that peace that surpasses all understanding. But again, the focus that we were talking about last week is in the Spirit, right? Because in the flesh, I don't have that peace, right? So in the Spirit gives me that supernatural ability to have peace regardless of what's going on around me, right? Uh, All right, so back to the text, Romans 8. We're going to look at verse 19, and it says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, it's almost like full circle for me, because I remember the first time, this was one of the first or second lessons that I ever taught. Um, I had never taught before, and Ray wanted me to teach something for the young adults at the time. And uh, I don't know if he chose it or I did. And I never had realized that the thought of creation groaning or waiting eagerly to be released. You know, And, and uh, that's what I wanted to focus on today, because we always think of the aspect of human we don't think about you know, the world and, and everything in it and how they're affected by sin just as much as we are in that sense, right? And all things that were made are under the wrath of God because of original sin. As well as once Christ comes back for his own, all creation will not have to deal with suffering as it does now. This creation that's addressed here is not speaking of humans, but the sons of God are those that are redeemed saints, because when Christ returns, God's children will share his glory, right? And, uh, and, and then we see where the judgment was pronounced on all creation. Genesis 3.17 Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I have commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So we see the effects that original sin has on all life. Cursed is the ground because of you, right? Now, um, when we look at Paul, Paul demonstrated that this relationship has a future aspect in connection with God's program of salvation for people, right? When you see that, you, you know, we're, let's look to Romans 8, 20 to 21. It says... For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, some people can, can look at that and it's hard. I know that we had a discussion. Um, you know, several of us have like a, a thread post that we, we speak on. And, uh, you know, we're talking about what is going to happen to the actual world you know, once the wrath of God is, is released upon it, right? Um, some uh, preachers such as D.A. Carson and, uh, and I think it was, was it not Charles Stanley, it was, I um, can't remember the, oh, David Jeremiah, believe that the world will be renovated. And, um, you know, what, and, and some believe that the world will utterly be destroyed, and there will be 
you know, the, the new heaven, new earth, you know, will come down, but not from already what's here, right? So, in my mind, there was an argument between what is restored and what is new, right? You know, can something that's restored be considered new? But then I realized that that's just a disputable matter. It really doesn't matter whether or not the world is restored or if the world is brought back new. We just realize that there will be no sin in the world, no effect of it, that God will make all things as it was intended to be, right? And that's the most important thing about it. I do love these discussions that we have, and I'm, I'm great, and I'm glad, I mean, I'm grateful for them, and they're great for edification, but when it comes to it, we need to focus on our salvation, our sanctification moving forward, and not worry about these little things that can detract us, right? You know, I love the understanding of the Greek, because it gives more context to what God is trying to say at that moment, but to be stuck on, you know, what Revelation says, what's going to happen to the world, and different things like that, our focus is, again, worrying about the trial and not the triumph, right? And how to get through it. And that's why we need to be vertically minded. And we look, and, and I was trying to go back, and I was looking to what futility means here, right? And futility in this verse stems from a Greek phrase pertaining to being useless on the basis of being futile and lacking in content, right? So, again... Creation, man, no one is able to save themselves from the wrath of sin, right? The only one that is able to do it and has done it is Jesus Christ, right? And thanks be to God that we have such a blessing to know our Father and our, our Lord and Savior, right? Um, there was a commentary where I read when it said, I don't like one of the words in here, but I'm going to say it anyway. When God's program of salvation for people is completed and the children of God together experience their glorious freedom from sin, Satan and physical decay, then the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. God had cursed the physical creation as a part of his judgment on people for sin because of their position and authority over the creation as God's representatives. Right? So we know because, you know, when we're spoken about Adam being the federal head the choice that he made affected all life, right? Now, we cannot look to Adam and, and again say, why did he do that? Because put in his place, we would have done the same thing. And yet, even though we do no more, aren't we sinning today? There's many of us who have that battle that's still going on, which, you know, is going to happen until we're taken home. That battle between the spirit and the flesh, right? Uh, Paul says it, you know, I do the things I do not want to do. Because, again, there is a tension. There is a battle there. That's why we are groaning to be released from that, right? I hate the fact that I've been a Christian for so many years now. I've been studying. I've seen, you know, the many blessings God has given me. Given me but yet, I still mess up. And I still sin. I hate that. I hate that in me. But the problem is, is that now my focus is solely on looking at those and being stuck in that situation and not repenting and turning towards God and now trying to move more into the sanctification and being more conformed to the Spirit. I'm getting stuck in all my past offenses and things that are going on and that's where my life is. How many people say, you know what, if I go into that church, it's going to burn down. 
Or you know what? I've done too much. God can't save me. But thanks be to God that he's able to cleanse all your sins, right? But the thing is, is that even when we fall, we need to get right back up and go back in the spirit. Be in the spirit. Be heavenly focused. Not continuing to focus on the things of this world, but the God in you that's transforming you more and more to the image of the Son, right? Um, in t- verses 22 to 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait illegally, uh, illegally, eagerly for, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Alright? Um, and I wanted to see what would be considered the first fruits of the Spirit, right? Because we always hear about these first fruits. And in James 1.18 it says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So it's defined as the first portion, a foretaste and pledge of blessings to come. Right? So first fruits of, of the Spirit just as the first pieces of produce to appear on a tree provide hope of a future harvest. The fruit which the Spirit produces in us now provides hope that we will one day be like Christ. Right? Um, that's not my quote, that's John MacArthur. And uh, I'm very grateful that you know I'm striving to something much better than what I am right now. Right? Um, and he's given me the ability to do that because he's giving us the Holy Spirit. Right? So, the present condition of creation is not its final one. It's, it is like a mother groaning in labor pains. Creation has a destiny planned by God and longs to see it fulfilled, much as believers have destiny to which they look forward. And I like that, and that's R.C. Sprawl. You know, we have something that we're looking forward to. Again, you know, we're in the already not yet. I'm looking forward to glory. I'm looking forward to that position. But I have to constantly be focusing on going in that direction. Not getting stuck on the horizontal. Right? I need to get stuck on the vertical and continue focusing on that. Um, in the next two verses, Romans 24, I mean 8.24 and 25, for in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we await for it with patience. As a child of God, um, I have a confident expectation of my bodily redemption, my glorification through through my spiritual endurance, because without the Spirit, I have no ability to wait and be patient and most importantly have hope. Again, there is no hope without God, right? Um... I, I, I told the story that, you know, it was funny. When I was a kid, my mom used to try to uh, bribe me to sit still. Literally, she would tell me, I'll give you 50 cents if you can not talk and sit still for five minutes. <laughs> if anyone knows me, they know I failed. Um, because in me, I had no ability to do such things. Even if you showed me the end game, even if you showed me that there was going to be, fi- and remember, 50 cents back then, I'm, even though I'm not that old, it was a lot more than 50 cents now. But still, it wasn't worth it to me. You know, I had no ability to. But thanks be to God that he gives us the Holy Spirit 
that he gives me the patience and, and most importantly the hope to be able to follow the path that you know Christ has laid out for me right you know um, and the famous verse when we think of faith in Hebrews 11.1 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen right I hope that you know I hope for the, the day of my glorification but yet I haven't physically seen what will that be right but I know that everything that God says is true so I know that what God is telling me there is no lies in it there's only truth and he's trustworthy and I know that he, I could follow him so with that being you know my focus means that I'm going to continue to seek the truth right and not let all the lies bog me down and deter me from the path that he set me on right so I have this hope because I know that God is true and I know that he's true because he's given me the Holy Spirit, which is the anchor of my soul, right? Romans 8:26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This weakness is translated as my limitation, my incapacity. In my weakness, I do not know how to pray. That's humbling when we think, quote-unquote, all the right words to say or what to pray for, and we fall short. How many times has somebody come up to you and said, I just love the way you pray, you know, or, you, you know, you sound so good, and you, you, you have this or that, or it sounds good, but we realize that we fall short, even in those times. And because the triune Godhead is obviously so in connection, they're able to take my foolish sentiments at the moment and translate it to you know, what, what is to really be said, right? The groanings of my heart. So, divine articulation, this is again John MacArthur, divine articulations within the Trinity that cannot be expressed in words, but carry profound appeals for the welfare of every believer. This work of the Holy Spirit parallels the high priestly work of intercession by the Lord Jesus on behalf of believers, right? Even if we were told that there was a way for us to be able to be saved on our own, we would still fail. Because we would not know what to do. Right? And thanks be to God that, you know, what God requires, God gives us. And he's given us an advocate in the Holy Spirit on how to pray, how to live. And he's given us an example through Christ. And Christ took on sin and did what we could not do what the law could not do for us because the law was only uh, um, you know, something to show us that we're living in sin and death and yet Christ he fulfilled it right? it doesn't mean that we do not follow the moral law or in those, those two laws that we're told you know, uh, uh, what is it God we shall have no other gods but gods love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength and soul and then Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? In those two laws encompasses the whole law. Because if you're following those, if you're loving God truly, 
your focus is going to be what God commands, right? You will be showing the fruit of the Spirit, right? And if you love your neighbors as you love yourself, you're not going to be drawn to wrath. You're not going to be drawn to stealing. You're not going to be drawn to those things. So that's why those are two important statements that we should follow, right? Um, in Romans 8.28 it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now again, remember, God is sovereign. Nothing happens without God allowing it to happen, to accomplish his will, according to his purpose, right? We can sit here and talk about all the things that are going around, going on, and why does God allow these things to happen? But again, we are not God. We do not know what his will is in that sense of his purpose for those things to go on. We know that he deserves all the honor and glory, right? We know that ultimately the goal is to bring his people to him and that every, every creation will bow their knee and worship him, right? Um, and then we also talk about that this is also what's called an effectual call, meaning that those he calls, they come, right? Um, people will talk about irresistible grace, and it's true, because once your eyes are opened and you know the truth, there is no leading you another way. There is no going another way. You're drawn to it. So when we see that effectual call, when, when that call is sent out by God, they will come. Right? Those he calls will come. In Romans eight twenty nine to 30, it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I got this from, again, from R.C. Sproul. It said, foreknew, predestined, um, in the verses 29 to 30, explain God's purpose. It is a plan of sovereign saving grace, entitling all who now believe to trace their faith and salvation back to an eternal uh, decision by God to bring them to glory and to look forward to that glory as a guaranteed certainty. The destiny appointed for believers, conformity to Christ and glorification with him, flows from divine knowledge, foreknowledge. Here it is, people, not facts or events that God has said to foreknow. God does foresee events but Paul's point is that God has, of his own initiative, chosen the objects of his active, saving love. No implies intimate, personal relationship, not merely awareness of facts and circumstances. Thus, the foreknown are the equivalent of elect, those whom God loved individually and personally, even before they were created. This is especially evident in Romans 11:2 and 5. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. There is a remnant chosen by grace. Foreknew. Here is the direct parallel with not rejected and is further explained by chosen. Right? So those that God has called, those who God has foreknew, which means loved, that actually, you know, predestined, he's, uh, he's predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Right? They will be the firstborn among many brothers because we are in Christ Jesus. And those that he predestined, he also called. So it's not 
you know, here it is. Here he is. He predestined us. He called us that effectual call. And those whom he called, he also justified. We realized, again, that we, would be, we wouldn't be right with God based on any of our merit. That's why Jesus took our place to, um, and, you know, justified us. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's given us his spirit, and we know that one day we will be like him, right? Because we receive the blessings in Christ. So these, these things are very important, and that's why it's important that as we're realizing that we've been justified through Christ, that we would conform more and more to the image of him. And that's where sanctification continually walk, comes in. And for that, that also goes back to what I've been saying all along, is that we need to be heavenly minded, right? Again, I used to think that that was a big charismatic term. When people would say those things, I'd be like, what does that even mean? You know, but it's where your focus is. It's where your focus is. It's not, shouldn't be of the cares of this world. Yes, I don't live in, in, in you know, your houses or in your world. And each of you face, you know, different trials and different things. And I'm not diminishing any of that. But we are going to live a better life if we live it in Christ. Because we will have that peace that none of those things can, can keep our focus off, right? No matter what's going on to my physical body, no matter what turmoil I'm, I'm facing, no matter if me and myself, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed that day, I know that I'm blessed and that, you know, I've marked out for something better than what I'm seeing right now. And that means, you know, with that, I have the ability as a child of God to understand what he's doing in my life by continuing reading the word of God, praying um, to God, and focusing on how the Spirit is working in me, right? And in that growth, um, I pray that each and every one of us can realize that, again, we're being set apart for something much greater than right now. And that's pretty much all that I have right now. Um, If anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, you know, this would be a perfect time to address them. Anyone? Go ahead, Dave. You go back to verse 22, talking about uh, the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of the child. Right? Well, now, the, you know, is that, right, you think that's both physical and spiritual? Well, see, this, this is a hard part because, yeah. again, only man has the spirit, right? So I don't know if I can necessarily say that creation is spiritual. I would have to say more of the fact that, you know, all creation does face death and decay, right? And, you know, as that... There is effects that, that happen to, um, you know, things that... Remember, we look at a, a plant, right? A beautiful plant or something. And it's beautiful, but we know that there's going to be a point in time where that's going to wither away and die. Um, we know that animals, just the same. We know that th- their birth, they're beautiful, they grow, but they still feel pain, and they know that we're, they're going to die. Um, you know, and in that, that's, you know, for them, they don't... You know, again, who wants to feel that pain? Who wants to feel that? So I don't know so much for, for other creation other than human beings that there would be a spiritual aspect of it in the sense of they have the spirit, but I know that ultimately it's going to fulfill God's plan because he's going to make all things new in him. Anybody else? All right, my brother, go ahead, sir. I don't know what I'm going to say. No, no, go ahead. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we want, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So, those were the men's thing. I went looking more for the groaning reason, but in the 
and I don't know where I'm going with this, but in the, in the Greek, that word intercedes is indicative, meaning it's a fact. He does it. But that word helps is indicative in the, in the middle or passive tense, which I find interesting because you would think help would be active, you know, like he's actively helping us, but the fact that it's passive really, and middle, middle voice means like we both play a role. You know what I'm trying uh -huh. to say? Like, yes, he intercedes for us, amen, but it's kind of on us to take advantage of that or it's not going to do anything. So I know that's kind of common sense. But it just, just sounds like a conversation. Yeah, it just jumped out at me. That, you know, yes, the Spirit's there, but are we tapping in? Are we utilizing what he wants to do for us? He wants to help, but it's not an active help. Don't worry, kid, I got this. I'm doing no. I'm doing it. I'm interceding, but that word helps is, you know, no, I mean, that's a great point. You know, that shows that in our sanctification process, we are active as well. You know, yes, the Holy Spirit is the one that does basically all the work and gives us the ability to be active. But we need to be active as well. How many of us are really going to benefit from our Christian walk without praying and studying? You know, um, and that's why it's called a relationship. Right? Any relationship that's worth having is one that works together. You know, and that's why with it, we need to be, you know, uh, working along with the Spirit to be able to, you know, communicate and truly honor God. So, yes, that, I don't think that was a bad point. I think that's a great point. Because, you know, for many of us, it's sad to say, but, you know, our prayer life and our study life is non-existent. You know, um, and we're expecting all the blessings to come, not realizing... That again, where is our focus at? You know? Um, I don't know about you, but when I don't study and I don't pray, my focus is on the flesh. There's no blessing in my flesh. Right? I just continue to look at, again, I have bad knees, a bad back. I get headaches. I get this and that. And my blessing is going to be on the fact that I'm continually looking at all the negatives. So there's no blessing there. Right? If I continue to focus on what God has done for me and is doing for me, there's many blessings there. Right? What I see in this church is such a beautiful blessing in each and every one of the members, how we've grown, how this truly is a family. You know, I mean, we could look at the Arnolds, and we could see when, you know, when each of their children were born, how, how, how happy everyone was and wanted to hold their children and be with them. Um, and the fact that, again, we have teaching all the way from, you know, from birth all the way up to what you consider a senior saint, you know, because we are here to teach the truth, right? And there will, there's men and women in this church that if they do not know it, they're not going to lie to you and, and give you a false answer. They will tell you, I will study it and come back to you with an answer. You know? But again, that's only because the men and women of this church are working in tandem with the Spirit, right? And that's why it has to be active. It has to be active. We need to be praying and we need to be reading. You know, um, and, that's, and that's a big focus in our lives because, again, I cannot claim to be a Christian and not be in Christ. And that's the most important thing. So, if we do not have any other things, Mike, would you like to close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It sharpens us, it encourages us, it strengthens us, Lord God. Thank you for, again, concerning the Holy Spirit, how how amazingly blessed we are that he is interceding in all we have. He knows exactly what is best, Lord God, for us. And the Holy Spirit is not away from us 
in heaven in another realm that is ever present with us here right now, Father. So we have unlimited power in one sense within us, Father. So help us, Father, to just utilize Him, Lord God. And we know that that happens first when we truly believe it with all of our heart that He is an ever-present helper in time of need. So, Father, it is Him right now that we are asking that we would be with us for the remainder of this day, Father, that we would be with Lenny as he preaches, and again, that he would continue to be with us, Lord God, to give us the, the answers and the understanding that we need, Father. What a wonderful blessing that is, that we can have confidence, Lord God, that God is with us right now. So help us to believe that and trust with all our heart in that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.